Hello, it's me, Painter Sharpless, and this is the Auburn Observer Podcast, your free podcast for the week. Justin Ferguson taking a much-deserved podcast off after carrying this team for what's nearly been a year now. That's right, we're getting right along into the age of the Auburn Observer. Ferg's been carrying the team for longer than a year, let's be honest. That stems back to the radio show, and speaking of the radio show, a friend and colleague of ours joins me today. We talk SEC basketball. We do get to Auburn later in the podcast, but we take a broader view of all the roster moves thus far this offseason, the trajectory of SEC hoops, how competitive the league has become. So, without further ado. Many of you know him, many of you love him. He's got great coverage of all things SEC, especially SEC basketball, and he's helping us out this Memorial Day weekend. It's Blake Lovell. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Painter. Good to talk to you again. It's uh, been a while, but uh, good to talk to you as always. There's been a lot of movement in the SEC. It has suddenly become what I think is a premier league in basketball after, for a while, kind of being an afterthought both nationally and also an afterthought for many of the teams in the conference. Uh, That is no longer the case when you look at what's happening around the league. And we'll talk a lot, of course, about Auburn. And and they've probably been one of the more interesting programs given the lackluster season that they had and what Bruce Pearl has done with his roster. But before we get to Auburn, I actually want to start broadly. Is there a team in the league right now that impresses you most given what it is they've done this offseason? I mean, I said this a couple weeks ago. I don't really think my my opinion has changed all that much. Um, you know, if you ask me in a month or three months, it'll probably I'll probably have a different order somehow. But I think Alabama and Auburn right now are probably the two teams I would put ahead of everyone else just kind of looking into next season. Now, again, that's without going through the off season. You know, there will be things, you know, there will obviously be injuries and that kind of stuff that, that just happens throughout a typical off season. Uh, but I think if you look at the way the rosters are constructed, I think those are the two teams that, that I find most intriguing just from a, a roster standpoint. And I feel like if, if things go as well as you think they're going to go or kind of what the, the potential is, I think those are the two teams with the highest potential beyond that. You know, I still think Arkansas is going to be, you know, a top three, top four SEC team. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not saying Alabama and Auburn are maybe going to be two that necessarily are just going to be able to, you know, run, run the table or anything in the league. But but I think they are the two right now put ahead of Arkansas and Kentucky and probably Tennessee, I think, is in that mix. Um, Florida, I think Florida's done a pretty good job. Really, I mean, Alabama and Auburn, just based on, you know, Auburn with the transfers, which I know we'll talk about, um, you know, having Jabari Smith coming in. And then for Alabama, potentially getting back, you know, some some really talented players and also bringing in some guys that fit how they want to play. Uh, I think as it stands right now here, you know, as we head into June, I think those are the two teams uh, to beat. What about Nate Oates and what he's doing in Tuscaloosa to you, if it does – says that this is sustainable. <laughs> He's been able to identify the type of players that fit his system 
And I think that we're kind of seeing that in terms of it's paying off in recruiting. Like you see a lot of guys who, you know, are able to to kind of really just look at the system and say, this is kind of really fit my skill set. I mean, look at a guy like Namari Burnett, right? Like Alabama was one of the finalists for him. He goes to Texas Tech, doesn't really work out. Well, he finds his way back to Alabama just because if I'm a player and I'm him, I'm looking back and saying, man, I made the wrong choice because that's the kind of system I need to be playing in. That's how I want to play, you know, as a guard. And so I, I just feel like the way they play, and, and it's honestly, it's not that much different than Bruce Pearl, uh, to be honest. I, I really just feel like there, there are a lot of similarities there in terms of Bruce Pearl has never had problems sort of getting those types of, especially specifically guards. Now, obviously, you know, there are a lot of other players they bring in too, but playing, you know, getting those kind of guards in a league that is dominated by guard play a lot. Um, that's important and I think that both of those coaches have sort of identified they have systems that are very appealing if I'm a recruit out there I don't want to necessarily you know I mean Javon Quinterly right there's another example he goes to Villanova and he plays in a very sort of methodical type of style which works for Villanova but meanwhile he goes to Alabama and he plays in a much more tempo style and he didn't have a lot of success Villanova but he's had a ton of success at Alabama so they're able to sort of identify, I think, the players that fit into that and can really play that style effectively, and I think that's exactly what Nate Oates is doing there. What do you make of Eric Musselman and what he's doing at Arkansas? He's one that, as we've seen so many times, I mean, he really understands how to work the transfer portal, right? And we've talked about that before. Um, he's he's kind of the guy that really started things off from a transfer standpoint, and you know, he really just understands it's kind of that, that same thing where – uh, he hits way more home runs, right, than he does singles or strikeouts when it comes to <laughs> the transfer portal. I mean, that's that's honestly what it comes down to is that guy rarely misses in the transfer portal. And, you know, it's not like you're going to have a couple of those guys. Like as many guys as they bring in, you're going to have one or two guys that don't work out. But as we've seen so many times, he's had a lot of guys that do work out. And I think that is something uh, where – he has the body of work now and you're going to always give him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to bring in guys that are going to fit and rarely are they going to have you know let's say they bring in five guys rarely are three or four of those guys not going to work out like the majority of those will and I think that's just kind of what he's done I mean he's made it a science with the transfer portal and as we've seen that's where the game is is kind of gone to and I said this last year after the season what you have to keep in mind is if you're a Kentucky fan or if you're a Tennessee fan or a Florida fan Alabama and Arkansas aren't going anywhere. Um, you know, they're just not. Like, that's the problem is if you think that this is the league 15 years ago or something where Kentucky and Florida were probably going to find their way into the top two or top three somehow every season, I just don't think that's realistic anymore. Um, with, with Nate Oates at Alabama, with Eric Musselman at Arkansas, you know, I, th- I think you put Auburn sort of in that same category too. I mean, last year was – it's just kind of one of those years. We knew that. We knew going in that Auburn wasn't going to be a top two or top three team necessarily in the SEC. So I just think that's the case. And, and the problem is, as we've said so many times before, Painter, somebody's got to finish one through 14. And um, this is not, you know, the John Wooden era anymore, uh, not just in college basketball, but in the SEC where you have a team that could just sit there and run the table seven, eight years in a row. That's just, it's not realistic anymore. For folks who might not be as aware of the rosters for Alabama and Arkansas. Herb Jones had a fantastic season last year. 
obviously a massive reason why they were able to run through the conference. But it was a good team. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just Herb Jones. Arkansas similarly had some excellent players. Is there anyone as you look at the roster for both of those teams right now that you're going, yeah, I'm getting excited to see this guy really take a step forward, given that Alabama's losing some of its contributors, and we know what sort of turnover Arkansas deals with and how quickly Musselman goes to the portal. For Alabama, um, you know, I am very intrigued just by seeing those those couple new guys coming in specifically with Noah Gurley and um, Namari Burnett coming in and being able to see how they, they fit into the roster because th- those are guys where you look at Burnett, as we said, I mean, he's someone very highly talented player coming out of high school. He goes to Texas Tech, very talented guard. And then you got Gurley, who's someone who, you know, has played at a high level before, and he's done that at Furman. And, and as we've said many times, like the SoCon's not a bad conference. He, he's proven it at that level, and he's done it, you know, a guy who can do just a little bit of everything. But I think he adds that layer of experience, too, for, you know, for an Alabama team that, that's losing some older guys from that team. So I think those two guys, um, I, I'm really very curious to see how they blend in with the guys that Alabama's going to have coming back. But if you look at Arkansas, I mean, we saw guys like Jalen Williams, um, you know, Devo Davis, those kind of guys really, as freshmen last year, I mean, they they came along very nicely. And I think now seeing them in year two and kind of what they look like and how kind of a big, even more of a step they can take forward, I think they're going to be, you know, two guys that if it turns out sort of the way, you know, if they stay on that same trajectory, I mean, those are guys that could be in, in like all SEC conversation. And, and you know, they're going to have guys coming back too, like, like Note and I think those two guys, you know, as we said, I mean, Arkansas's got a lot of transfers coming in, um, you know, likes Tony, Mude, like they've got a lot of those guys coming in. But I think like Jalen Williams and, and Davis, like those are going to be two guys that I really am excited to see, you know, how much more they can get even better uh, there playing for Eric Musselman. So, Blake, I'm curious to know your thoughts about Alabama's great season, and then we will move on from Alabama. But they were dominant in conference play and the conference tournament. I'm a petty fan, though, and I'll remind everyone that Auburn had a regular season championship, an SEC tournament championship with a Final Four run, then that 25-6 and six season that was cut short due to the pandemic, and it did look like Auburn was playing its best basketball and rounding into form going into the SEC tournament. The way coverage looks sometimes with these two teams makes me laugh because I don't think that you can – discount what a phenomenal season Alabama had, especially during conference play. But also, I sort of feel like it has been forgotten very quickly, conveniently, about how good Bruce Pearl and how consistent his teams were for the previous three seasons. It's one of those situations where, and it kind of goes back to what we said about, you know, just the state of the league overall. And you have these programs like that to where, you know, you look at Auburn, like, like, we have we have seen such a, a larger sample size with, with some of these guys like Bruce Pearl to where you just know again take last year out of it like your expectations are going to be high every year because you you have the confidence in one of these coaches like that to where they're going to be able to build the roster to compete and really give themselves a chance now they may not be the top team they may not be number two but like they're going to be in that top five range ncaa tournament conversation type of situation and and that's where i think you know like you said like you look at oats at alabama muscleman at arkansas 
go up and down the line, like Kentucky's going to bounce back. Kentucky may not be 38-0 or anything, but they're going to bounce back and be in that conversation. And that's where I think you, you start to put it in the, the perspective of the entire league. The SEC's not going to get 12 teams to the NCAA tournament. It's just the, the problem is, what we're saying is, it it's a very impressive feat in this league as it stands right now because it is as strong as it's been. Not just maybe, you know, you can point out different seasons and say, well, maybe this season the SEC was a little down. But if you just look at it from a standpoint of, you know, a trend or, you know, a certain three-year, five-year, eight-year kind of history, like we know the past five years, like the SEC has really started to push forward in a way that another five-year stretch, it would be a while. You'd have to go back and try to find that to where there, there's maybe been another stretch like that. Some of these teams that are doing it, they're doing it in a league that has significantly got better. It's not like some of these teams are just dominating the competition at times, you know, in an SEC 15 years ago or however many, 10 years ago, whatever. Um, they're doing it really in what is the strongest period the league has had in a very, very long time. What is your opinion of Will Wade? Well, we've seen this not just with LSU, but, you know, we've, I mean, like, I think you look at Kansas, right? And it's a different situation um, because, you know, again, we've, we, we've heard the stuff and we've seen the documentary and, and all that, you know, with, with Sean Miller and, and Will Wade, like those kind of things kind of, and I don't think Kansas is probably the only school that's done this because I think LSU's done it the same way, but it's like, I think these schools now are to the point where it's like, What's the NCAA doing to us? You know, yeah, and the I Overton think it, window has shifted. Yeah, like, like I think that's it. To where, if the NCAA is not going to significantly do anything, like, I mean, perception may be bad. If your governing body is not going to do anything about it, or, or, or again, I mean, think about this: 2007, like 2017, 18, right? Wasn't this when this started? 18. Like, it's been a long time, and there has been really nothing. No no significant movement. Yeah, no. I mean, it is, it is the opinion of this show that the players should get something. And right. I'm glad that the name, image, and likeness thing has come up, but I certainly have no problem with if you've constructed a system in which this is how it's going to be, like, you can't be surprised that Will Wade is doing what is necessary yes. given how competitive they've been. And right. I actually sort of respect that LSU just planted their flag in the, like, try to do something about it. And, well, and, and they sort of yeah. called the NCAA's bluff. And to this point, you're right. Now, for LSU and I would say for Auburn, among some other teams, it's like maybe some slap on the wrist punishments are going to come down. But given the average fan and how much they care about these issues now compared to, say, 10 years ago, plus how unpopular I think the NCAA is, it's hard for me to imagine them handing out serious punishments to teams like LSU and like Auburn half a decade after these things happened. For example, let's say you're a let's say you're a South Carolina fan and your program's really struggling. You're doing everything by the book, you know, you're not having any, you know, whatever. But if I'm a South Carolina fan, in this scenario again, you can put any team in there you want. I, I probably am. I, I'm probably gonna say a lot of bad things about LSU and Arizona and all these other teams, um, if they're having success in doing this. If I take that out of the equation, the fandom and the bias part of it, and I want payer, players to get compensated compensated for what they do, is it something that I'm just going to completely, you know, go crazy over? Probably not. 
you know, and, and I get it from a coach's standpoint too, right? Like if I'm a coach, I get how much more difficult it makes my job if there's another guy out there that is, you know, has a much better way of getting to the top highest of high recruits. That's something where, yes, as the rules stand, is it something coaches are allowed to do? No, but if it's not, where are the consequences, right? Like they're, I mean, until you can show me where they are, um, and everybody, like, it's like, we just keep hearing, oh, they're, you know, we've seen it, like the NCAA's coming, they're going to come down hard. That line's been repeated for almost three years now. No, no, they're not. Like, where is it? If they are, <laughs> that's great. But I mean, I, I've seen this and, and look, I'm not knocking anyone, the national media or local media or anything like that, but it's like, we've all heard about this big, bad monster in the NCAA that's coming to get all these schools. Well, where are they? Because I don't see it at all. If it happens two years from now, people are going to say, oh, I told you so. Great. It took them five years to get through all this. Wonderful. What, what are they going to do? Are we going to go back to the whole thing where we just, okay, let's vacate wins? Who cares? This whole vacating wins, it means nothing. Like the game once still the player, happen, Yeah, once right? the players like, <laughs> have arrived, whether or not they were deemed eligible by yeah. Mark Emmert is sort of useless. I'm with you. And so let's talk then about what you think LSU can do this year because it seems to me like Will Wade has made them a consistent force. And then Kermit Davis, it seems, has really kicked his program into overdrive. Yeah, I think LSU is a team I would put behind some of those teams that that I kind of mentioned earlier. I feel like this is a case for LSU where, and I guess Darius Days could technically still come back, I suppose, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, again, it's it's really hard to get a reach or get a read on these NBA drafts entrants because the process is going to somewhat go back to normal. And I think this is where you have guys that can really improve their stock, or they get into it and they realize, wow, you know, maybe my stock's not as high as I thought it was going to be. Um, but the roster has been kind of built, I think, out of necessity versus necessarily. I don't know what the word is, cohesion, chemistry. Like, this feels like a team that, knowing that you were losing, you know, Javante Smart, Trenton Watford, um, you know, Cam Thomas, all those guys, you just kind of had to fill in the talent where you could, and they did that. Like, they brought in Xavier Pinson from Missouri. They brought in Seneca Knight, really good player from San Jose State. Um, you know, they got Adam Miller from Illinois. They bring in Efton Reed, you know, the big five-star, um, you know, kid, 6'10", 6'11", whatever he is. Um, you know, and they've got some other good freshmen coming in also, but I don't really know that it, I think LSU is a team that I'm probably in wait and see mode on to see how all that comes together because it's a, it's a much different roster. Like you're going to have guys that are all playing together pretty much for the first time. I mean, that's going to be the entire rotation almost maybe outside of one or one guy, one, maybe one or two guys. Um, you're going to have a new rotation and I think that's always a tricky thing. Um, yes, Kentucky can do it because they've just done it so many years after years after years. But we're talking about an LSU program that's really relied on the same four guys for the past, what, two or three years now, um, you know, give or take one or two other guys that maybe went on to the NBA. But it's going to be a much different scenario. And so I'm kind of curious to see how that comes together. I don't know defensively what they're going to look like. That's been the one thing that's held them mm. back. I, I think that's that's what I'm not sure about. So they're going to be really talented. Would I be surprised if they find a way to finish in the top three, top five of the SEC? No. But I think I, I want to wait to see how some of that comes together. And then, you know, for Ole Miss, I think that's – they've got a lot of guys coming back. 
Um, you know, and they've added some some good players around them. You know, they Ty Fagan comes over from Georgia. Um, you know, that they, they've got they got Breakfield, you know, coming in and, and those kind of guys. And I think that's where you know, bringing in someone like Breakfield, you know, he comes from Duke and it just didn't for whatever reason, right? It just didn't work out. And so maybe this is one where you kind of find a different scenario and then they bring in, you know, Nasir Brooks from from Miami. That's a that's a good addition. So they're one that I think that sort of has the luxury of, of bringing some guys back, um, you know, like Jarkel Joyner and Sammy Hunter and Rodriguez and guys like that. Matthew Murrell's in there. Um, I think they're another one that's – I think Ole Miss should be pretty good. But if I compare that roster to all the others we talked about, I'm probably still putting Ole Miss behind, you know, the top six, seven teams in the SEC – and they may not be a bad team, but I just think the league's going to be so strong that it's really hard right now to probably say, well, I feel confident that I can put Ole Miss ahead of, you know, Tennessee or Florida or teams like that. I, I just don't think you want – you're probably in that, that category right now. Uh, but th- they have upside. I just think it's – again, it's kind of like the others. You want to sort of see how some of it comes together, um, you know, because they are losing – some significant players, right? I mean, Devontae Shuler just was such a huge part. Romello Wright really became a very, you know, dominant force for them. So um, I think that's the, – those are things. And I think that, you know, the K.J. Buffin, when that was – that's kind of an, an older transfer. But he was very important to them kind of late in the season. So um, I think it's, you know, it's just like a lot of other teams. It's wait and see how these, these guys come in and replace your other talents. Uh, if they can do that, then Ole Miss should be pretty good. But I think they probably wind up – Kind of on that line of NCAA tournament, you know, bubble team, something like that's my guess. It sounds like you're in the vicinity of where I am with Ole Miss, which is that clearly Kermit Davis has beefed up the talent that I think they're accustomed to having. But I'm having a hard time gauging how much I should care about that, given what the rest of the league looks like. And Kermit actually gives Bruce a really hard time. That's been a tough matchup for Bruce. I'm with you. I don't know what to make of Ole Miss. I think the larger point that I can draw away from what Ole Miss is doing is that they've made a real commitment to basketball. I still don't know how relevant that makes them, though, given what you just mentioned about how deep the league is. So let's shift to the East before we get to Auburn. And while we have this little bit of a transition, would you please tell everybody where they can find you, where they can follow up with more Blake-level content? Yes, uh, of course, we've got the new project we're doing, uh, the SEC thing, our SEC site, southeastern14.com. It's the numbers, 1-4, uh, southeastern14.com. That's where we're covering you know, all sorts of uh, SEC basketball, baseball, football. Of course, heavy on baseball right now uh, with everything going on. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, the new project we started in, uh, I guess, early February and uh, yeah, going strong. We got a daily podcast, daily SEC podcast there. A lot of written stuff you can find, and yeah, a lot of stuff on the way here as uh, we start looking ahead to football season. And of course, we'll have uh, lots of basketball, um, you know, analysis as well over there. So you can check that out. Of course, my Twitter is at the Blake Level. How did that idea come into fruition? Well, we just got bored, you know. Um, it's, uh, I mean, that, that's probably some part of it, right? Uh, no, we just, uh, you know, my my colleague Chris Lee and I had been looking for for ways to, you know, kind of work together in a more full time capacity, and uh, so we just decided and finally, you know, found some some investors, and uh, yeah, we we got that going, and yeah, it's it's worked out pretty well. I mean, as we know, there's lots of SEC coverage out there, and there's lots of great SEC coverage out there, but uh, we wanted to kind of put our own little spin on things, and. Uh, yeah, we, we've done that thus far, and uh, yeah, we're just really 
really heavy into baseball. I know that's, you know, obviously for, for Auburn fans, probably not the season they wanted, but um, <laughs> I, I still think, you know, as you know, Painter, like SEC baseball is a big thing. And um, it's still something that I think is under, undercovered in terms of just how dominant the league has been. And uh, so we, we've tried to, to cover it that way and, and really give some good insight there. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where it all started. And uh, as we said, I mean, we, you know, we started the thing with baseball season and, we haven't really gotten to the big two yet, you know, with football and basketball. So we're excited to see uh, kind of how everything unfolds there. It's my opinion that there is a smaller, more niche audience for SEC and college baseball at large, but the people that are into it really like the uncut stuff. I mean, they are oh, yeah. hooked on baseball. And, I mean, you can't find a better division or conference than the one Auburn is in. And you're right, it wasn't a great season for Auburn baseball. But I digress. Be sure to check out what Blake is doing. Uh, I kind of glossed over Mississippi State and A&M. Is it worth mentioning what's going on in College Station and Starkville? Well, I think Mississippi State is very intriguing. Um, I think they'd be more intriguing had DJ Stewart decided to stay and not basically say he's going to the NBA, even though you know they have the option of coming back. But he's pretty much said he's gone. So I think still that they are intriguing because of bringing in Garrison Brooks from North Carolina, DJ Jeffries from What Memphis. a saga that's been, by uh, that the way. Has, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's interesting. Like, that's what we talk about. Another one of those guys that maybe you have a reset, you know, you go to Mississippi State. There's obviously more familiarity there, you know, from a, a family standpoint and such. Um, so, so maybe that's something where that can be just a significant addition uh, for them because they they do I mean they have Iverson Molinar and Tolu Smith coming back those are two All SEC guys next season I don't think there's any doubt about that and that's what was said had they brought back Stewart then you'd had I think three surefire All SEC players but I, I mean Jeffries is a good player and by the way I just completely forgot like I I was thinking of course there's thousands of transfers at this point it feels like like they just got Rocket Watts too from Michigan State and <laughs> I, I think Mississippi State you know we talk about sort of history and. I think there have been Mississippi State fans that even when they've had very talented rosters, they've thought they've under underachieved at times, and I don't think you can argue with that. But this is actually probably from a maybe one through seven standpoint, like this is going to be one of his most talented teams he's had there. I can't say I'd be shocked if Mississippi State winds up breaking into that top five in the SEC. I think they're a tournament team right now. Like I think there are probably – I think there are nine, maybe ten teams that I would look at right now and say those teams' goal should probably be making the NCAA tournament. I don't think Texas A&M is one of those teams. I think they're going to be a bottom four team. I don't know what the trajectory looks like for A&M right now under Buzz Williams because I think they're they're getting talent, but it was an exciting hire. Like I liked yeah. when A&M went out and made that move. And I think it was a smart hire. I think it made sense for them. It's the state of the league. They're lagging behind a little bit in terms of, um, you know, what they're bringing in and and what they're able to keep, too, right? I think that's the thing is, you know, they've had transfers, which I don't think is that unusual because when you have a, a coach that's only been there a couple seasons, most of those guys are, you know, the former staff's guys. And I mean, um, look around the league. Everybody's having transfers. The portal, yeah. a lot of people have been worried about players being able to leave, and I would argue it has made the sport more exciting while also giving the players the option to do whatever they want to do, yeah. which is good since it's their life and they're not being paid. It's something for Buzz Williams and every coach that's a challenge. It's like, all right, you know, Bruce Pearl's nearly half his roster looks different. 
And I think, like, he's brought in, I think they've had five transfers this offseason. And, you know, if you look at some of the names, like, you know, they got Henry Coleman from Duke. That's intriguing. Like, that's very interesting. You know, but then you've got guys like Ethan Henderson from Arkansas. Well, Ethan Henderson really didn't do a whole lot of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Could that change? Sure it could. And it's probably going to have to because he's one of the, you know, a post guy that they, they don't have a lot of posts on that roster. So they they overachieved in his first season there. But I think really, of course, last season, I don't even know how you judge last season. They didn't play for whatever it was, over a month. Um, and I think you could say the same about South Carolina. I just don't see them making any significant progress this next season. All right, I wanted to get to Kentucky and Tennessee because they seem like two teams in the East. Well, I guess there aren't divisions in basketball, as Ferg would remind me. But nonetheless, if we're going to break it down by divisions, we'll go with that. I want to laugh at Georgia first. What is going on at Georgia? Can you give me an opinion about Tom Crean? (laughs) I think as it stands right now, I guess it depends on what Vanderbilt's going to do. But <laughs> I think as it stands right now, Georgia's probably the worst team in the SEC next season. Um, <laughs> Ow, Atlanta is well, there. Atlanta yeah, I don't is know. in their yeah, state. Transfers have just – I mean, they have lost – what are they? I think they've lost eight Nine guys. guys? Nine maybe guys? Eight. It's, yeah, it's, something I like mean, that. It's not high. great. Not no. great. Um, it's, it's a very high number. I think actually Georgia, A&M, maybe the two that have lost the most guys – on the roster, although I think Vanderbilt has lost quite a few too, so uh, I'm not saying Georgia's going to far and away. Like I said, it it's probably going to be it's a bottom tier team. I think in the last four NCAA tournaments, every SEC team has made the tournament in the last four. So that again, put that into perspective. With you talk about the competition and the league, like every team aside from one has made the tournament in the last four years, and you know who that one is? It's Georgia. You know this is going to be Tom Crean's fourth season. I think the Anthony Edwards year raised some eyebrows because you looked at it, you knew you had the number one pick in the draft, and they just didn't really have a whole lot around him. They were exciting at times because of him, but they, they just, I don't know, it just felt like that they were still sort of behind. All your top players leave. You know, you see Severe Wheeler go to Kentucky. You see, um, you know, Justin Kyer makes, you know, he transfers. P.J. Horn, like Garcia, all those guys. I think Katie Johnson may end up starting That's right, Katie Johnson. He's he's their second best player probably last year. He was, yeah. Katie Johnson was the second best player on that team. And at times, you know, you could argue he was even the best player uh, based on how they were playing. You don't have all those guys transfer just to, you know, for any reason, I think. Um, unless they just felt like it wasn't going to work. And now, I mean, look at this roster. Like the guys, <laughs> the guys they're bringing back did not play at all last year, hardly, um, if any. So you're bringing in a bunch of new guys and really, I mean, like Braylon Bridges from, from UIC, like he's a good player. I don't know what to expect from him in the SEC, you know, and, and I think it's the same. Like like Noah Bauman, like that's a that's a good pickup from USC. I think you you look at that Aaron Cook who was at you know Gonzaga and all like these are these are again we said this is kind of the common word they're intriguing. I think this is a very significant season for Tom Crean. I think if it goes sideways, uh, you know, and they let's say they do finish last or second to last, and maybe they only win three four SEC games or something. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to make a move after this season, but I think this is the pressure is has certainly built. This will be year year four again. I, I think unless they just completely go sideways, um, I don't think that they're making a move necessarily after this season. But they're going to have to they they got to do something. And I just don't know that they have enough. Um, you know, the, the way the roster is built right now, I just don't see them being able to stack up with all these other SEC teams. 
the most talented team in the league every year, Kentucky, their fans are crazy, and they expect to win a championship in what is a single elimination tournament. Obviously, the tournament adds an extra wrinkle in why it is difficult to win a basketball championship. They don't care, though. Last season, by all accounts, was a disastrous one for John Calipari. What do you make of the upcoming season? You know, I think I'm going to enjoy watching this Kentucky team um, as someone who has found frustrations with their teams at times, which, you know, last season, again, I think you kind of throw it out. I think it. Re- I think last season really made them rethink some things in terms of how they approach this. And I think finally, finally, as someone who enjoys <laughs> the three-point shot, and after John Calipari has watched Auburn and Alabama make three upon three upon three and have a lot of success with it. I think he's finally realized, look, we can't just have one guy on the roster that's a good shooter. We have to find three, four different guys that we can put on the floor and can make shots from outside because otherwise people are just going to zone us as much as they can. They're going to make us shoot jump shots, and some of these teams have not been good at shooting jump shots. I think this team could be very good at that. Um, Kellen Grady from Davidson, uh, you know, good at that. Like, he'll be able to make shots. C.J. Frederick from Iowa, he'll be able to make shots. Um, You know, Severe Wheeler. I think Severe Wheeler got a, you know, I think people knocked him a bit at Georgia because it's like, well, look at his percentages. His shooting percentages were not great. Sometimes a bad shot, you know, for a guy like that is much better than a good shot for another player. And when you have a guy who had the ball in his hands so much like Severe Wheeler, he was the one having to take crazy, ridiculous circus shots late in the shot clock because they didn't have anybody else that could really do it consistently. Now, yes, Katie Johnson, as we said, came along, and, and that changed a little bit. But I think Severe Wheeler is actually a really, really good player, um, and I think we'll see that now with him kind of in maybe a better spot. But this team is going to be able to shoot the ball, and I would be very surprised if they're – I'm not saying they're going to be the best three-point shooting team in the league. I, I really don't believe that. They really don't but need I, to be, I imagine. Exactly. They just need to not be terrible at it. <laughs> yes. They're not going to be a team that I think you know goes two of 18 from three, Like I think, which we've seen Kentucky teams shoot those kind of percentages before. Um, I think they're going to be better than that, and they have to be because this is a roster that is not built – like, you know, an Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, Bam Adebayo type team where you see some guys that are that are certainly going to be able to make an impact inside. But I don't think you go up and down the roster and are like, wow, you know, you know, yes, like you're going to have Oscar Sheboy coming in, which, you know, very intriguing to have him come in from West Virginia. Um, you know, and you look at the guys that they have in the freshman class with, with Collins, um, you know, you've got Hopkins in there. Like these are these are guys, too, that. Um, you know, we'll be able to, to do some things that, that really help in those areas. But this is going to be a roster, I think, that's much different than any maybe we've seen before with Cal at Kentucky. And I think that could be a good thing because, as we said, I think he's got some guys that can that can shoot it. Um, he's He's added the elements, I think, that they had to have on a team like this. I don't think they're, like I said, I don't think they're the surefire number one team in the SEC next year. But I do think the Cal Revenge Tour is in full effect, and I think he is going to set out, and I think he's done that with this roster. I mean, I, I really believe that this is a this could be a pretty fun roster. Um, now, if Kentucky comes out and goes nine and twenty-three or something, um, then I think maybe you know there could be a coaching change in Lexington. They are going to be a team that should finish in the top three in the SEC. I don't know that they're going to be number one, uh, but if everything comes together, they absolutely could be. I hinted at my 
jealousy of the way Alabama gets covered in the state and nationally, quite frankly, and how quickly it is, it seems that people are probably rightfully buying into what Nate Oates is building. Everybody wants Tennessee to be good. What should we make of this Tennessee team, which, by the way, now has one of Auburn's former players, Justin Powell? Here's the thing with Tennessee. If you removed last season from the equation, I would probably be jumping all over this Tennessee team. I would probably be like, man, this is the team to beat. Like, this is the one you got to watch. This is the thing. Every This is preseason <laughs> for Tennessee, though, right? Yeah, and, and I think it's but, – but because I do have that reference point of last season, I, I'm starting to put Tennessee in the category of Florida where it's like – I want to trust you, but you've given me a lot of reasons not to trust you, no matter what things look like. And I think I'm not all the way there with Tennessee, but I'm a little hesitant. Um, Even with, man, when you look at the roster, like this roster is really good um, when you just kind of go up and down. I just, I I don't want to, I felt like I was just so burned last year by, because I was one of the ones that was like, man, this is going to be the best team in the SEC. This could be a Final Four team. Um, and as we saw, it was just – it was a flop at times. Um, it just – they did not look like that team of that caliber. And I don't want to put those expectations on this team because this team is <laughs> going to be – they're going to be a little younger because, you know, they are going to have several freshmen coming in. Like Kennedy Chandler, he's going to play right away. Brandon Hundley-Hatfield, he's going to play right away. Um, you know, Jonas Adu, he's going to have to play too. So I think these are guys that – you know they're going to have freshmen again and in, in very featured roles, but this is where you have like John Fulkerson coming back, Victor Bailey who really came along last season, um, Josiah Jordan James I think will take another step forward as a junior now, uh, Viscovi same situation, and then you've got someone like Powell who will be able to make shots. the The roster is to me just as intriguing as it was last season uh, because they they do like the, I think they're actually. I don't want to say they're built better than they were last year, but I, I can understand if someone wanted to make the argument because when you take E. Pons out of the equation, it's hard for me because I just I think he was one of those guys that just brought so much to them from a value standpoint. Um, and, of course, let's be honest too. Like you're losing Jaden Springer, you're losing Keon Johnson, two lottery picks as well. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily know that it, it matches up necessarily person for person, you know, player for player as last year's team, but – I can understand if someone wants to make the argument that, look, you've got Chandler and Huntley Hatfield. Like, those are future NBA guys, too, that are coming in. Um, but I want to see it come together because that team was so bad offensively last year with two dynamic offensive players in Springer and Johnson. And that's where the worry comes in. Do I think Chandler and Huntley Hatfield are going to be good players offensively? Yes. But I saw that last year. Like I, Springer and Johnson were terrific at times. Um, and I think they're going to be good NBA players. But they that team, for whatever reason, could not do anything offensively, and that's what worries me a bit. They're going to have to really change the way I think they approach their offense this season. If they do that, they're going to be in good shape. If they don't, I mean, we could be having the same conversation we had last season. Uh, so I do I think there's potential for Tennessee to win the league? Yes. Am I going to say that right now uh, and pick them to do so? No, because <laughs> I just I want to see it come together. Still feeling uh, the sting. Yeah, I still feeling the sting. So right now, you know, I mean, think about this. I probably I probably said, oh, I got eight teams in the top five in the SEC, but like that's that's the range I think you put a lot of these teams in right now. Like Tennessee, yes, when it all comes together, they're a top five, top probably top three SEC team. But 
I just don't know that, as we said, somebody's got to finish 1 through 14, and I just get a little more hesitant with Tennessee just based on what we saw last season. Barnes does a good job of getting talent there. It's just bizarre to me that he can't get past the Sweet 16. Best of luck to him, and I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, Bruce doming that program. (laughs) So is there any other team that we haven't mentioned in the conference beside Auburn that you want to talk about? I mean, Florida to me is this curious case because it's like, I mean, I just don't think that Mike White is like a bad coach, but I don't think he's exceptional either. I'm not all that interested in some of the other teams, but if you are or you think it's worth noting a few of the teams we have not yet touched on, please take this time to do so. Well, Florida's, I think it's a matter of, you know, for Florida, they, they brought in some really quality transfer players, but it's like we've said with all the others. That's great, but it's how's the chemistry going to come together? What's that going to look like? And I think we've seen enough sort of had a more of a body of work with Mike White that it's like you can understand why some people may just be like, okay, we'll 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 do the wait and see mode on them too, uh, which I think that's kind of where I'm at with Florida. But they they do have some talent coming in. I mean, Brandon McKissick from Kansas City. I know it's like oh, Kansas Kansas City, but like he's a good player. Um, and you know you can say the same for for some of the other guys they've got coming in. C.J. Felder, Boston College. Go up and down the line. Uh, plus, they also have the guy with the greatest name in the SEC next season. That's going to be Philandrus Fleming. Um, I think <laughs> he's. But if I, but I mean, he's he's not just a guy with a great name. Like he he's a player from Charleston Southern. Um, I want to say he averaged. Um, boy, this is this is great podcasting. But I've got to look this up because um, <laughs> I was trying to figure out what he averaged. I had the number near me, but I was like, okay, what is the actual number? He averaged quite a few points per. Yeah, he averaged twenty points per game last year. Uh, so that's something too, where it's like, okay, I know you're making the, the the transfer from you know Charleston Southern to Florida, but this is a guy that's proven he could score, and I think there's there's value there. So Florida's going to be, should be an NCAA tournament team. If they're not, then we're talking about Mike White. I think in that same conversation of guys that the job security, it's already you know it's gone up and down a bit. Uh, I don't think, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to expect there because there things seem a- stale in Gainesville, Blake. I just that program is used to having success. They had an incredible run not too long ago, and yeah. it's not like they've been atrocious. But if you've got high expectations, to me, Mike White seems almost dull. I think the fan base is kind of growing very um impatient at this point uh, because it is going to be what I think it's his seventh. This will be his seventh season. Um, and I, I always said this, like, it did not matter who was walking in that door. When you had to follow Billy Donovan, it was going to be an impossible situation for a guy that won back-to-back national championships, a historic achievement, you know, at that school. It, it wouldn't have mattered who it was. Like, there was always going to be a lot of pressure, and you were always going to be compared to him, even if you had a lot, even if you had just a ton of success um, and maybe didn't win national championships. But you were always going to have that knowing that, People, fair or unfair, were always going to go back to that and say, well, you know, Billy Donovan won two back. He won back-to-back national championships. You can't even win one? Like, again, and we know that's unrealistic, but it's like that is – there is that too. I mean, it, it just – it comes along with the nature of it. But they have just been so inconsistent, I think, Florida has under Mike White. And I I don't know, which I think last year you also have to look at that and say, listen, I mean, this guy – with what happened with Keontae Johnson, it's just like, 
I don't even know what you say about last season. I mean, you know, in different circumstances, like maybe that team doesn't even play again. Like that was just sort of, you know, it's just a completely awful situation. Uh, and, and luckily it's it's turned out much better than people thought it was going to. Uh, and, and I think it's just, but still, if you if you look ahead to this season, it's just, I don't know. And I think it's, it's wait and see on Florida. Let's see what it looks like. Um, and if they kind of make that jump. And I guess the only teams we haven't mentioned would be, I mean, Missouri, I I think Conzo has done an underrated job there uh, because that, again, is where expectations come into play. We, we could be talking about Conzo in a much different light if, you know, Michael Porter Jr. doesn't get injured, if Jonte Porter doesn't get injured. Like, that's just – sometimes it's just bad luck. And, you know, I think that the fact, though, is they've still gotten to two NCAA tournaments in his four seasons there. What, what we've said so many times, it's hard to go to the NCAA tournament every single season. And if you're Missouri, think about where that program was when he took over. Um, they were at the bottom, bottom. And I think that, you know, yes, maybe Consul Martin isn't the kind of coach that's just going to wow you. And, and if you look at his history, has he had, you know, that final four success? No, but I don't think that, that, has, that has to be the expectation for everyone. In this SEC, sometimes it's okay just to kind of keep the ship afloat right i mean sometimes it's okay just to to be in a situation where you're just trying not to bottom out aka vanderbilt who completely bottomed out as a program (laughs) um you know i mean just think about that like even years before like two years before vanderbilt was ncaa tournament team and it's like and they just completely bottom out and they haven't recovered since like that can happen in the SEC, and you know, and given that's the trajectory of the conference right yes. now, it's it's becoming easier for that to be the case. And as we've seen, once you get to that point, it ain't coming out in one season. Well, Bruce like, Pearl <laughs> pulling Auburn out of right, yes. what they have historically been was no small feat, and there were sort of murmurings, I think, right into that season where they win the regular season championship, where fans are going, "Is this going to come together like we had hoped it would?" And it's yep. like. I mean, what real history or evidence did he have to give people that he was going to make this a good program other than that where he has been previously, it did work out. Uh, I feel for Vandy. It's fun to me when Vanderbilt's good at basketball because it's a sport that, like you mentioned, they can be competitive in, unlike football. Um, South Carolina, I'm not sure that they can do much better than Frank Martin. Is that fair? Like, they may end up going with the coaching change in the next couple of years, they yeah. may not because I'm quite serious when I say I don't think that South Carolina is in a position to think that they're going to do a lot better than him. South Carolina is not a good basketball job, and, and that will upset South Carolina fans. But if you if you had to rank the South Carolina basketball job up against all the other SEC ones, like honestly, like who would you rank them ahead of? I, w- I wouldn't rank South Carolina ahead of Vanderbilt. Same. Um, and like Arkansas has not only become very good under Musselman, but like you could say, well, Arkansas is sort of a forgettable program in some ways, but not necessarily in basketball. They have some no. history to lean on. I think South Carolina, Georgia. And Auburn has a- historically been probably yeah. one of the worst three teams in the league. I think South Carolina, Georgia, and I was even I would still put A and M above it because I think you're you're what you're pulling from like you're still in Texas and mm-hmm. you know and you got all that money through. baby and and I think you know right we could say the same way with Georgia but I just think we're seeing now like I, I don't know like that's where I think what you said with South Carolina sometimes and of course we we kind of transitioned from the Missouri conversation I, I think that's where we kind of went with with Conzo was like if you're a Missouri fan and you're like well I see what Arkansas and Alabama are doing why can't we have that success well. 
it just can't, it doesn't work that way. Like it just, and if, and here's the, I always say, I always say like how it works with this. If you're Missouri or if you're South Carolina, show me a better, like give me a surefire option because guess what? There's not one. Like you don't know until a guy takes the job if it's going to completely work out. Like, you, yes, if you go out and hire Brad Stevens or someone, like you're going to have a pretty good shot at probably turning your program around. But, you know, what happens two years in whenever the Duke job opens and he goes there? Like, you know, it's just sort of, I think that's the thing. And for South Carolina, if I'm Frank Martin, I, I thought he was going to do it this past off season. But if I'm Frank Martin, I'm, I'm trying to find another job. Like, and, and I don't mean that as a slight towards South Carolina, but I don't know that they do the best job of the supporting him there, given what he's done. I mean, that's a who would have ever thought that South Carolina Final was going to get Final four. Right. And, and, and that's what goes back to, right, Painter, is the, the NCAA tournament is a random event. Like, it, there is a lot of randomness each season of the NCAA tournament. We see it so many times. But still, I mean, he is considered – by a lot of people, like he's still a very good coach, and I think that he is one that is sort of. Well, I mean, he's lagged behind. Isn't that fair to say when it comes to the transfer portal and that kind of stuff? And and I think you're going to see like different coaches have to. It takes a little time to adjust. Like that's where Musselman got in on it so early that he's having that success as quickly as he is because he got in on it as soon as it was sort of the boom started in Nevada. And I think that's where you know I don't know. It's just. It's a, it's a situation where we are now at the point in the SEC where all 14 schools think they're the next Auburn, they're the next Alabama, and they're just going to find these coaches that are going to come in, they're going to get them to an SEC championship, a Final Four, and it just doesn't work that way. Um, unfortunately, as we said, somebody's got to finish 1 through 14. The problem is the teams that are 11 through 14 – They've seen what the former 11 through 14s have done and have now transformed their program, you know, however long it's taken, even if it's taken three or four years. And that's what you want every single season. And um, that's just, it's just, it's such a different dynamic in this league now. It's a good thing, but for coaches, it can certainly be uh, a bad thing because um, that's where you have more turnover. That's where you have programs that start sort of spinning their wheels. Uh, And as we've said, if you go so far in the wrong direction, it's hard to get out, and in the case of South Carolina, I think that's one, too, where it's like, this is going to be Frank Martin's 10th season there. Sometimes after a certain amount of time, it's good to kind of have a split no matter what the situation is. Um, and, yes, could they they find a coach that comes in and gives them a chance to, to really move forward? Absolutely. But at the same time, I always say, be careful what you wish for because <laughs> um, <laughs> we have seen a lot of situations where um, that has not always – uh, worked out and uh in this league right now you better have a pretty good idea of where you're headed and you better not fire a guy just to fire a guy because uh if you don't have a, a replacement lined up already um you're going to find yourself uh, in a in a game that i don't think you want to play so i've run you through the entire conference at this point and this is an auburn podcast so let's go there but be- before I do that, did you just throw in the Brad Stevens to Duke thing? Was that did I hear that correctly? <laughs> yeah, just you, you can report that if you want. Uh, I right. I said that hypothetically Brad Stevens is uh, going to Duke. You, you can just say that I named the terms of the contract and everything. Just just make uh, up a number. I like that. Okay, so <laughs> Auburn has in my mind one because I'm biased and we all know this. Uh, it's not really a secret here. Uh, I think. Made itself the most interesting team in the league this offseason. Do you agree or disagree? Is that a fair assessment? I think it's fair if you just look at it from who they brought in 
like we said, I mean, you just you, you go up and down the list. Uh, you know, Walker Kessler, I know. You know, we mentioned Katie Johnson. You know, Zeb Jasper, Desi Seals, who I think again is one of those guys that really was a good player at Arkansas. He just found himself lost in a numbers game. And then you know, Wendell Green from East. I mean, they're, they're, they got a lot of good players coming in. And then, like we said, it's sometimes like in the in the era of transfers like you're like oh yeah we got freshmen too and it's like oh yeah they've got Jabari Smith like yeah yeah I mean the best program or the best (laughs) recruiting program history what do you make of Sills because I think you're right the way that Ferg and I have come to terms with it is that he doesn't necessarily think he has to be a starter although I think at this point in his career he'd certainly like to be but his role was a strange one at Arkansas and now with the addition of Katie Johnson I'm going all right, you're going to have a role. Clearly, he's good enough. I mean, he had career nights against Auburn. I'm also going, is this really what he initially thought he was signing up for? That's the problem with a lot of transfers. You transfer, and then more guys transfer in, and it's like, whoops. Like maybe, And I'm not saying this is, this is Desi Seals, but we're talking in more of general terms here, where a guy transfers out thinking, okay, I see a spot where I'm going to get a lot of playing time, and then I see two or three other guys come in behind me, where it's like, okay, well, those guys played a lot too. Um, and so I think that's what you look at because there, it's, a, like we said, it's just the numbers. Because there are so many players transferring and you have so many teams bringing in four to five plus guys in the offseason, this, specifically this offseason, it changes the dynamic a little bit in terms of what your role is going to be. Can Desi Seals be a starter that plays 25 minutes a game? I think so. You also know that you've got a lot of competition there. And that's where... I think you start to see those kind of things play out early in the season with, you know, guys who clearly either are a little unhappy that thinking that they were going to have a much larger role. And then, you know, maybe the rest of the season they play, you know, in 12 games and play eight minutes a game or something and just fizzle out a bit. Um, Or you have guys that, you know, kind of embrace whatever opportunity they have. And maybe they only play 15 to 20 minutes a game, but they're still a, a vital member of the rotation um i think that's where you're going to see a lot of that not just as we said at auburn but around the country like who are going to be the guys that embrace those type of roles who are going to be the guys that maybe transfer thinking that they deserved a much bigger platform and deserved a lot more minutes and they aren't getting those minutes and and just it doesn't work out like i think that's where some of these guys is not going to work out like it's just not every single transfer you're going to hit on i think auburn's a team too where like you said they've got guys coming back that are going to play minutes too you only have five on the floor at one time, but uh, I think Seals will will prove to be a, a valuable member of the rotation just because he has played in the SEC. Uh, whereas a lot of these other guys coming in, I mean, Katie Johnson has too, but it's like that's that's an advantage you have is you have played in this league, you have played in you know a league that's gotten much stronger, and you produce. So uh, I think that that familiarity will help him a bit there. Just as you know, Xavier Pinson at LSU, it'll help him coming from Missouri, and just as as we said, Katie Johnson. Uh, I think, just coming from from Georgia, and and same with Severe Wheeler, Kentucky. I think I buried the lead a little bit. Desi was an interesting place to start because I find his role to be a curious one, but Auburn's front court suddenly looks like it's going to be dominant. What do you make of this front court that Bruce Pearl has assembled with the highest-rated prospect in program history with Walker Kessler, one of the highest-rated, and another guy who has some experience, and it seems to me like Auburn's MVP from last year, Jalen Williams, their most consistent player, is probably the first guy off the bench, probably getting starter minutes, even though he won't be a starter. What other teams in the league can compete with Auburn's front court? It has become a guard-dominated league, and, and Auburn, as much as anyone at times, has, has kind of proved that theme. 
But I also think that Auburn has been a team that's really still been able to be one of the teams that has been as good in the front court as anybody. Um, and I think, as you said, that will be the case this season because there are a lot of teams around the league that, that are going to rely on a lot of you know guards and perimeter play. Whereas I think Auburn's kind of got the best of both worlds, um, which, you know, that's why I'm probably as high on them as I am, uh, because you, you do have guys that will probably be able to knock down some shots from outside. But you've got guys, too, like Walker Kessler, who can step out uh, as, a, as a big man and make shots. And, and I think that's, as we know, that's something Bruce Pearl's always valued. That's where a lot of coaches value now is being able to have those guys that can step out and make shots. For someone like Jalen Williams, you know, to to have the season he had last year coming off of, you know, getting those minutes to on the team the year before, um, that's where that becomes so valuable. And I don't think you can, you know, can't really put a price tag on those kind of things uh, in terms of just getting that experience. And now you elevate yourself going into this season, knowing that you're going to play a, a pretty, you know, big role on this particular team. But if all comes together and that front court, you know, kind of unfolds the way we think it's going to they will like they, they're going to be you know right there and and that could be the thing where we're saying yeah there's a lot of play you know teams around the league got some great guards but what what helps Auburn be the team that you know rises to the top is that they have a front court that no one else can match and and if that turns out to be the case uh, as we said that that's where you start talking about a team that you know has has final four aspirations so help me take off my orange and blue lenses for a moment Blake Auburn, I think one of their strengths will be their depth and that some of these players that are going to be running on the second team and some of the rotations Bruce can run are going to be hard for most teams in the country and certainly in the conference to keep up with. What teams are deep enough to run with Auburn in the league? Because when I look at their roster, yeah, the starting cast looks excellent, but I think that there are plenty of other teams with lots of really talented starting fives. I don't know how many teams have guys down at seven, eight, and nine on the bench that will be as good as Auburn's? I think Alabama is, and you know, I know it's kind of a predictable answer, but I think Alabama has the depth. Those are two teams, with, and maybe that's why, again, I, I value them the most, is I think they do have the most depth right now overall. But, you know, I think Kentucky and Tennessee, excuse me, have pretty compared – I mean – their depth's going to come close too, and I think that they, you know, have got that. And that's what worries me. I don't want to say worries me, but like Arkansas, I think is, but but I think we've seen that before with Must. Like he doesn't necessarily have to have a team that goes deep, you know, eight, nine, ten man rotation. If he just has a solid, you know, one through seven, he can make it work. Um, but I do think like you know Alabama would, would be number one. I would say you put there with them. We're also looking at it and saying we. You just you kind of know that one or two of these guys maybe it just turns out to be you know it, does, it doesn't work out to be the best fit, um, but I think if you just look at it on paper, Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee to me they all still have pretty good depth. Um, like you said, it it's probably somewhat comparable with Auburn. Maybe maybe even you know lump all four of those teams in together, and you know one day you may may like this team's depth better than the others, but. Um, as we said, I, I still think I'm probably leaning more towards Alabama and Auburn right now more than I am Kentucky and Tennessee. Do you have an opinion about Alan Flanagan? He's great. <laughs> there you go. There's my analysis. Um, he's a he's a great player. That's that's it. Uh, I just I don't know. He's he caught a lot of heat from Auburn fans when he was playing out of position. But he is, I think, the player. Even though they're bringing in Jabari, even though Walker Kessler is here, like I find myself perhaps most intrigued with what Allen could do for this team because he is an NBA caliber player. 
But also, I think when you when I think of who's going to be the alpha on the team this year, my mind goes to Allen. Yeah, he proved he could be last year, and I think that's the. I mean, he he really did. Like last year, he came along so much, and I'm with you. Like even with Jabari Smith and those guys coming in, like I'm still looking out flanking. Like that guy is. I mean, let's say Auburn has. Let's say they finish. Uh, let's just use that. Like, let's say they win the SEC. Like, I think they win the SEC because of him. Like, and, I, and that's not knocking everyone else, but it's like if I'm looking at the best team and who I think is probably going to be the most, you know, and it's hard with this team, right? They just got so many good players. But I think he's the guy we're going to look at and say that's the best player on the best team. Do you disagree with that? Like, I, I mean, Jamari Smith is really, really good. And I yeah, just think, I, I, though— Yeah, it gets into that area of, like, Jabari and Walker may be more talented players who may— have right. higher ceilings as NBA prospects. But given what we're talking about as both a talented player in his own right who likely gets drafted after this season and has also now been on the team for multiple seasons, I think that to me is worth a little bit more, even if I think there are a handful of players who are more talented if you want to make that separation. And I think there, there's a there's a more of a, a trust level too that's already built in with the staff. And again, that's not me saying that Staff's not going to be able to trust, you know, Kessler or Smith, but Flanagan has proven it to where I just think that, you know, in those situations, like he's their guy. They're going to go to him um, because they, they've seen what he can do in those situations before. So, um, yeah, I just he, – he could be one of the best players in the league this season, and, and I wouldn't be shocked by that. And like I said, if Auburn were to win the league, I think the reason they win the league is because he has the type of season he could have. The Auburn transfer you're most excited to watch this season is who? Because I, I think the thing I'm most pleased with Bruce about this offseason is that he had, a, he had a good roster, but they were not stagnant. He went out and was aggressive. In my opinion, this team got a lot better because of it. For me, the easy answer is Walker Kessler because how many other guys in the SEC, or nationally for that matter, you know, have a 7-1 guy on the roster who's going to be able to step out and make shots. I think that that's just, I mean, that's like you said, that's pretty much the layup, right? Like to pick him as the guy who would kind of be that one because he just, he offers such a different dynamic than any of the other transfers. Um, so I think that's probably where I'm, I'm looking at first. But I also, as we've talked about, like Katie Johnson to me, it's a very intriguing one because we, we sort of lump him into that severe wheeler category of, yes, we saw what he could do at Georgia on a team that struggled. But if you actually take him and put him on a team that he's going to be surrounded by a much better, you know, a lot more parts to work with, I mean, he could be even, you know, take a big leap forward. And I think that I would say that, you know, for him, I could see that. And and playing for Bruce Pearl, we, we know, and that's one thing I've, I've said so many times, and you've heard me say it, I think the one thing Bruce Pearl does not get enough credit for is just the player development aspect and what he, how he's able to develop players. Um, and just when they come in, if you can find me and his, you know, whatever is be your, what, eight for him, if you can find me five to eight guys since he's been there that have just gotten significantly worse as players, uh, good luck, because I don't know where, the, where that would be. Um, I was having I this think, conversation with someone recently. It's like, what player has really disappointed yeah. in their career under Pearl? And, you know, you can look at Jared and Bryce, certainly as guys who were under-recruited and then had incredible college careers and are, you know, making a little noise professionally. Uh, Chuma being a four-star, 
the first real example of a guy shooting up into the draft. Obviously, Isaac was top five. Sharif is an interesting case. Um, the thing I came up to like closest with was like, man, like with what D'Angelo Purefoy's skill set was right. and his body type, it's like, I guess you could have thought he might have been a better player, but he was still a very important role player for Auburn, especially in that final four run. So I don't at all think you can call Purefoy a disappointment. And he wasn't a bad player. Like he, his no. skill set didn't get worse. And I think that's what we talk about, like with this. And and that's where I think you know what you said with Katie Johnson. He's going to get better. And I mean, he got better in Georgia, and he looked pretty good. So um, I think those two. And, and that's not knocking the other guys. I mean, we, we've kind of mentioned the others, but um, I just think that those two are very interesting from that aspect, just based on the different skill sets they have and what they could accomplish. I think playing for Bruce Pearl. Blake, I appreciate your time, my friend. It was good to catch up with you. And uh, if you would remind everybody one more time where they can find you. Yes, I enjoyed the conversation as always, Painter. uh, Southeastern14, that's number uh, 14.com. You can check that out. And, uh, yeah, it's all of our SEC stuff. That's where all my SEC basketball stuff will be uh, this upcoming season. So you can uh, check that out. We'll have some stuff, of course, not just once the season starts, but uh, we'll actually start working on some stuff here pretty soon. Uh, Looking ahead to next season and all of that. So check that out there. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at TheBlakeLevel. Blake, I do appreciate it, my friend, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Painter.